And we have been in this book, the book of Exodus, which is all about how God used a deliverer named Moses to move his people out of a place of bondage, a place of slavery, a place of hardship, and he moved them out of that, and then he took them through the wilderness. He, he got them out from under king, the king of Egypt's thumb, and he brought them into the wilderness, and they're going to end up in the promised land. And if you've been hanging out with us the last couple of weeks, you realize that this book is a picture for us. It's a road map for us. Yes, we believe that this happened. But more than that, we believe that this gives us an idea of where we've come from, what we're going through, and where we're heading. We know that this moment, this big moment that we talked about last week, which is right in the center of it all, is the actual exodus. The actual, you know, the 10th plague happens. The destroying angel comes. And why is, it, why is the, the huge feast, the most important feast that Jewish life is centered around, the Passover, why is it called the Passover? Well, because they were all going to take out the lambs, right? And they were going to slaughter the lambs. And they were going to wipe the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. And so the destroying angel would pass over those faithful families, those families that had a sacrifice, those families that observed what God had told them to do and kept his covenant. And we talked about how in the Old Testament, Passover looks forward to communion in the New Testament. And you can call Passover Old Testament communion, and you can call communion New Testament Passover. Communion, or the Eucharist, right? The Eucharist, what does that mean? It's like a fancy high church word, right? It means giving thanks. Because when Jesus broke this bread, he said he broke the bread and he gave thanks. And we remember, as New Testament people, the night that Jesus was betrayed. And he was our sacrificial lamb for us. He died in our place. His blood allows it for us to be saved in the way that the blood of the lamb allowed for the people in the Old Testament to be spared that night. So we're going to continue on the story, and I'm going to invite you to read with me. We're not going to read the entire section, but we're going to read a good chunk of it, okay? So starting in chapter 13, verse 17. I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they will go after them, going after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God 
who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. A pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. And with a water, a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now jumping to chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there was Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried to the Lord for help. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you would have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on the dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army, and his chariots, and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. And we jump down to verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through this dry, the sea on the dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians. The Israel and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him 
and in his servant Moses. The word of God. What do we see here? First of all, we see Pharaoh being Pharaoh, right? If you've been hanging out with us for the last couple weeks, Pharaoh has this tendency to basically never change his position. And the moments that he does change his position, he goes right back to his hard position. <laughs> Every time he said, all right, I relent. <laughs> all right, go out. <laughs> do your thing. <laughs> Leave us. What does he do? He turns back on that. Now, in, when the destroying angel comes, and all of Egypt is struck, and the firstborn sons are killed, what happens? Pharaoh's like, I'm done. I tap out. Get out. And the Israelites, what do they do? They ask the people that they served, their parents served, and their grandparents served. And back for 400 years, they said, can we have some stuff? And the Egyptians said, take it. Get out. Take it. But of course, Pharaoh sees his wealth leaving his nation. And I mean literally his wealth because they plundered Egypt. And also his wealth because they were all the workers that they had for free. And he sees them out there and he's like, I mean, imagine how stubborn you've got to be. Ten plagues come striking down on you. And you still think, I can get those people back. I can still enslave those people. That must have been a fluke. There must be some natural reason all those things happened. I'm going after them. I'm going to get my stuff back and I'm going to get my people back. And so he, he, he mobilizes his army. And what, what do we see Moses doing? We see Moses actually being like Alexander the Great. <laughs> we see Moses doing something that few people in all of history have ever done. We see Moses actually leading this incredible number of people. Read about it being 600,000 men. That's besides women and children. So you're talking somewhere north of 2 million people at least. And he's organizing them. Of course, he has a secret weapon. <laughs> he's got help. It's called the angel of the Lord, which is a cloud, a, a, a pillar of cloud in the day. And at night, it's a pillar of fire. And so all these people are being led. And they don't go on the road. And by the way, you can walk like today. You can walk, and it'll take you a few days to get from Egypt to Israel if you go the short path if you go on the road but they didn't go on the road they entered in the long way into the wilderness and why did they do that I don't know if you've seen or read Lord of the Rings and Frodo's going out there with his his guys and they're leaving their quiet safe home for the first time ever and then they kind of tumble down and they fall and they end up on the road. And there are these evil creatures following them called the wraith. Those undead guys on horses that scream really freaky, right? And what does Frodo say when he looks down the road? Get off the road! Get off the road! They told us, the old, the old guy Gandalf told us, don't go on the road. 
And surely Pharaoh would have had traps on the trade route <laughs> to the Near East. Surely Pharaoh would have had something. But then we also know it was God himself that led them into the wilderness. What, were the, what, were the, what do you think the Egyptians, I mean the Israelites' frame of mind was right now? Well, in the beginning, in the beginning, it must have been like, yay, God is with us, right? We've got all this loot. We are no longer slaves. We saw God do these powerful things. He turned off the sun for a few days. He, he, he made the, the Nile turn into blood. He, he, he broke us loose from the chains that held us, not only us captive, but generations of our family captive. And they're probably thinking, you know, Pharaoh and the Egyptians are scared of us. That's what they're thinking, right? Man, they're scared of us. God has favor on us. Don't mess with us. They're probably feeling really proud. And then later we see, and we see it right, right in that passage I read for you, you we see that, that, that God comes and we see this phrase again, one last time, that the Lord is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Not only Pharaoh's heart, but the Egyptian army. Verse, chapter 14, 4 says, I will harden their heart. And then it connects it in a way that it's really connected the entire story. It says, I'm going to harden their heart and I'm going to get glory. I'm going to harden their heart and I'm going to get glory. Now, some of you know the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery to the Egyptians. And that's, that's, there's a long story, but that's how God's people end up in Egypt in the first place. Because his brothers sell him into slavery. And at the end of his life, he looks at his brothers and he has a chance to save his brothers from famine. And he see, sees them and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And this is something that's very difficult for us to accept and understand. But the things that we do and the things that are done to us that are wrong, God can redeem them. God can turn them around and make what is evil in this world turn out to glorify himself. And, and our minds reach the limits here. We get to a place where this is very difficult for us. But there was this preacher, this thinker, this pastor named Jonathan Edwards who gave this helpful illustration. He said, you know, if you look at your life, you have to remember that your life and your year is like a tiny little dot. It's, it's like God is the artist and he's, he's painting this beautiful tapestry of all of human history. He's painting this beautiful picture and when he looks at it from afar, when he sees Adam and he sees Eve and he sees them fall, when he sees a nation coming and forming out of nothing and when he sees through that nation this son named Jesus who would come and deliver the world, when he sees how it all wraps up and he sees all the people who would bend their knee to him and repent 
and believe, when he sees the whole big picture, it all glorifies God. But that doesn't mean that on Tuesday, when you hear that someone you love gets the call that, yes, it's cancer, that that dot looks beautiful. That dot looks like chaos, doesn't it? That sickness, that, that, that those years of dealing with a child who is stubborn and wayward and you've lost hope for him. It feels like chaos. It feels meaningless. That dot of the depression that you've been living in, that dot of your life not turning out the way that you hoped it would. In it, when we focus in to the sentences, to the little strokes, we look at our lives from moment to moment and we can say, how does this glorify God? And there's a sense in which it doesn't because God isn't pleased with us struggling. He doesn't want to see anyone perish. He doesn't want to see us living in the mire. He doesn't want to see us living in pain. But when he steps back and when you look at the entire picture of your entire life and all of history, God has worked it all out for his glory. I mean, think about this. For 430 years, these people were oppressed. And the last generation had to experience the terror, the absolute terror of the latest Pharaoh who tried to grab all of the boy children and, and, and throw them into the Nile. And then we see, as the story continues, we see in verse 11, and I'm sure I heard some gasps and some nods and some, yeah, I can relate to this. You see in verse 11 of 13, it says, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that we came out of the wilderness to die? And I love the realness of how the Bible paints God's people and the rawness of his people. They, they simply are unbelieving, complaining, afraid, and really negative. Does that sound familiar? Does anyone relate to that? Has anyone ever been afraid, negative, unbelieving, and stubborn? <laughs> Has anybody ever been around those people? <laughs> Not Robert, we know. <laughs> Listen, to their backs, they have the Egyptian army. And in the front, they have the Red Sea. What are they going to do? See, it's different to see the Egyptians as the taskmaster. It's different to see, you know, maybe the shadow of some big, fat Egyptian like me, you know, because they were skinny slaves that worked real hard, and the Egyptians just, you know what I mean? They had their whips, and they had their tools, and they had everybody in check, you know. But, but they got to eat. They got to live. They lived in slavery, but they knew what to expect every day. And now they're out in the wilderness. And it's one thing to see the Egyptians with their whips and that familiar relationship of bondage. And it's another thing to see the Egyptians on chariots, on these wagons that are drawn by horses, 
full of shining armor coming after you to kill you. This is a different kind of look for the Egyptians. And they think, this won't work. This won't work, right? That's what they think. This won't work. They're coming for us. The Red Sea's here. God's plan. We know how God can do. God can take people out. So I guess that's what he did for us. He took us out into this desert to die. And they, you know, you, you see Moses' response in verse 15. Well, the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? And I can't tell you how many times I feel like Moses here. <laughs> Rebuked by God. Supposed to lead God's people? Supposed to lead a community of faith? Where's my faith? Can't tell you how many times I didn't know how we were going to get a paycheck at the end of the week. And look, I can read languages. I can speak other languages. I've managed projects. There is a million other things I could do than plant this church. <laughs> but there's nothing else I want to do. You know? There's nothing else I want to do. But that does put you in a spot. I mean, in case you were wondering, like, there's not like a magic flow of money from some organization. All of that comes from trusting in God and knocking on doors and being out there on the street and working for it. And it's not guaranteed. And just having to pray like God and, and, and every single time somehow it comes in. Sometimes the last second, <laughs> sometimes the last second, Brian's giving an amen, right? To the scent, right? <laughs> to the scent, it's there. Somehow. I remember one time we sold our car, and it wasn't for a predetermined price. It was the best we could get. And then the bill came for, um, for college. I was at community college. And it was to the scent what I just sold my car for. You know? Now, I'm not really big into God wants you to be super rich and is going to provide everything you ever dreamed of, but I do believe that he will supply you for whatever you need to do his will. I do believe, like to the scent, that God is good. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for folks and I've walked away having no clue what was going to happen. Oh, you got a handful of fines felony misdemeanors oh you've got this major rifts in your family oh you're homeless you don't know where you're gonna go but every single time i said listen what's the point of all this unless you show up god what's the point of all this unless you just come in and help some people and you know what he does and he has especially in the last few weeks like the, the last couple months before we had this spaghetti fundraiser dinner, you came to the church, people would call up. It seemed like every day. And I had to tell them, we don't have no money for you. <laughs> but tell me your situation. Let me pray for you. And I've not seen God work more with no money <laughs> than I have in the last couple months. It's been amazing. Let me be plain. 
When God works a new grace in your life, like you coming back to church or the salvation of your soul, when he delivers you, after you've been delivered from Egypt, you probably are going to face a Red Sea. After you experience deliverance, you're probably going to face a new opposition. And for, it might be family opposition. You probably know people where this has happened. This has happened. Where people experience the salvation of their souls and all of a sudden the family's like, okay, you just joined Team Colt. <laughs> You've just joined the weirdest thing I ever heard. Like, you're not the same person you used to be and I don't like it. It may affect your business. You know, I don't mean to be smart, but when Johanny came closer and closer to Jesus, it affected his business, <laughs> right? And when it affects your business when you're older and you're trying to take care of people, it's scary. So it's like I left Egypt and I want to follow God now, but unless I lie or do this or that or sell drugs or whatever, how am I going to live? Sometimes your health just falls apart. When you start following Jesus, sometimes you lose your friends. The Red Sea is your opposition that's before you. And the Egyptians behind you is your past life. Sin can seem worse than it ever did after Jesus comes crashing into your life. Isn't that crazy? Like you feel guilt and shame more than you did before. And guilt is knowing that you offended a good, loving, heavenly father. And shame is knowing you could have done better. You could have been a better person. Maybe for you it's like, I am not as decent of a person as I thought I was. If we're more honest, some of us it's like, I'm not the superstar I thought I was. Because I thought I was killing it in all my relationships. I thought I was happy. I thought I was doing life my way. But it wasn't working out. And you need help. You need God. Jesus deals with both. He forgives you. And he loves you. Many of us have stories of Red Seas. Of like experiencing some great big splash of goodness of God in us. And in our lives. And then all of a sudden we have all this opposition. That we weren't even looking for. Feels like we're getting attacked from every end. Let me, let me read from you from 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 1. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. Now, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, Our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud. And the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drank, drink. And for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So you might be wondering, like, what the sea is opposition, and the, like all this stuff. Like, how do preachers get to what, what, what they get? You know how they get to it? It's, it they get to it by reading the scriptures broadly, seeing the whole map of the word, seeing how the saints in the New Testament constantly use the Old Testament, 
by prayer, by study, by working it out. And my friend in Vito, who's going to come preach next week, is going to talk to you about some of these specific things because a lot of the stuff Paul's talking about is about to happen. When they get on the other side of the sea, they're going to start getting manna. They're going to come up to a rock. Moses is going to hit it. Water's coming out. There's all kinds of stuff that are going to happen. But I would just encourage you, there's so much in the Word. There's so much good stuff in the Word. You just drink from it deeply. I want to end with verse 14, right in the middle of this story. But let's read the verse before it too, 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see that the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. When I was looking at this word for quiet in the original Hebrew, the original language it was written in, this word quiet is more than just like quiet. It's, it's this idea of someone who can't speak. It's just he can't speak. And he can't hear. And he's completely still. It's like the, he's, just, 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 he's totally passive. Okay? And I was looking at this text and looking at the context of the story. And I came up with the title for tonight's message, which is sometimes you need to hear this from God. You need to shut up. And let God work. You need to shut up and let God fight for you. You need to just be still and let God do it. And I want to speak to three people, three different kinds of people that might be here tonight. The first one is, are you still in Egypt? You know, there's two kinds of bondages. There's two kinds of living in the, ha- the place of slavery. And one of them is living for yourself. That is bondage. It feels like freedom, right? It feels like if I could just do my own thing, that's freedom. But actually, the thing is, is that you have to do your thing. And you're kind of not that great. (laughs) And you don't make great decisions for yourself. And it doesn't work out for you. And the other one is trying to impress God. That's a bondage. You can't impress God. You can't do enough good to make him impressed with you. You need to shut up and let God fight for you. (laughs) Are you facing the Red Sea? Your opposition exists to glorify God. Whatever you're facing, lack of work, relationship trouble, sickness, trouble with your kids, trouble with your spouse, trouble with your neighbors, trouble with your co-workers. Whatever you're facing, it's there to glorify God. I want to ask you tonight to shut up and let God work. Now some of you ask me, Yeah, but pastor, what if at the end of the day she dumps me? (laughs) What if at the end of the day, like, 
this opposition that I'm facing, what if I drowned in the Red Sea? What if the one I love dies? What if I die? If you are in Christ, you will cross that river too. You will cross that river too. So here God's people cross. They cross over the Red Sea and then they start wandering in the wilderness, which is basically the Christian life. Sorry, we're not in the promised land. <laughs> you know, another preacher can disagree. I'll fight him. <laughs> but then, later, they have one more river to cross. The River Jordan. And there's a reason that for centuries, songs have been sung about the River Jordan as a symbol of death, as a symbol of passing over. And if everything falls apart in your life, if you have faith in Jesus, you're going to come on the other side of that river completely healed. And you're going to see him face to face. He's going to wipe away all the tears from your face with his own hand. And lastly, do you see Egypt's army? Yeah, you used to serve them. They used to be your taskmasters, but you don't have to anymore. You don't have to serve Egypt anymore. Don't turn back and fight, okay? God never instructed his people, like, all right, like they had a lot of people. But he never told them, like, turn back and fight the Egyptians. I'll, he says, shut up and let me fight. I'll fight for you. There's this guy, John Baker, who, who wrote a lot of the curriculum that we use for Celebrate Recovery, which is a ministry we have every Sunday afternoon before our service. And it's to help people who are coming out of addictions of all kinds and hurts and personal disappointments and he says this, he says, if you hang out in the barbershop all the time, don't be surprised if you come out with a haircut. <laughs> Listen, you got a problem with a certain channel on your TV? Like, get rid of that channel. <laughs> and don't pretend like you go in the bar, to that bar because you love their roast beef when you're always going to that bar because you know you're going to be having six, seven drinks. Stop fighting your temptations. You got friends that drag you down? I know this is hard. This is what I'm telling you. Drop them. Just drop them. I know it's easy to say and harder to do, but you will not experience deliverance until you do. Shut up and let God work. <laughs> Stop trying to fight your sins. Stop trying to be a different person. Going back to those people, places, and things and just saying, I just won't be tempted and I'll just do it differently this time. Run away and let God fight for you. Let me, pray with me. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for this incredible story of how you led your people to the banks of the Red Sea 
how you called Moses to stretch out his hand, how you divided the sea, and how we read about how your people made it through, but the pursuing enemy, the Egyptians, the slave taskmasters were destroyed. And you do this all for us. You do this all for us right now. You did it for Johanny. You, you did it for Christy. Lord, thank you. You did it for Brian. Lord, and every single person who's going to come up here and share their story. You're in the business of rescuing us. And Lord, I pray for all of us, anyone here, Lord, that is like, I still feel like I'm in Egypt. I pray, Lord, that they would still hear the words of last week's sermon. I want them to flee Egypt. You want them to flee Egypt. Lord, I pray that you would rescue them out of Egypt. In the name of Jesus, amen.